As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. going on everybody welcome in it is uh monday and we are back with another hold that podcast podcast on time uh because for now this weekend's game does not seem to be threatened in any way that is the lsu arkansas football game um this is the hold that podcast podcast where we talk all things lsu football i'm your host t bob Abair. i am joined by my co-host brody miller from the Athletic, who happens to be the host of this podcast, that's right. Uh, so if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, you will get a great dollar a week sign up deal. Trust me when I say it is so worth it. It's not just LSU, any sports that you love, any team. They have the most talented writers working at The Athletic. And one of them is the aforementioned Mr. Miller, Indiana Hoosier extraordinaire. Alumni of a top 10 team in the nation. It must be nice. Brody Miller, what's up, dude? Not too much, man. Just another week. But hey, we actually have a football game to, to cover this week, which has been a rarity so far through these uh, these three months, man. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, yeah, it has been a little, it's been, it's been a wild year. Um, and we will get into the Arkansas game this weekend. Uh, Coach O had his press conference today. They, uh, we, we, we got some insight into some personnel things we got some insight into some scheduling things or maybe a lack of insight into scheduling we'll, we'll so we'll break it all down on today's pod uh but first it is monday if you're listening in the future it is monday november 16 2020 right now and uh this morning about 6 a.m a usa today article uh was released uh that that is very serious in nature for lsu and, and the allegations within that article uh there are allegations of essentially a culture of cover-up when it comes to sexual assault, uh, sexual violence. Um, it's it, it's multiple sports. It's it's I, I think really every level of LSU um, in terms of administration are coming off as lacking uh, at best, right? Uh, negligent. Uh, you know, uh, purposely negligent at worst. And, and and they have a lot of, I think, questions to answer over these allegations. Now, I did have some idea that this was coming because 
Uh, I don't know how you get on this list, but one, somebody that I know forwarded me an email from LSU where they said, look, USA Today is going to re- release an article. It's going to say a lot of things. Um, for legal reasons, we will not be able to address a bunch of it, but it basically seemed like they were getting like the stockholders like ready for uh, the bad news cycle, right? Well, the bad news cycle is here, and it feels like much more than a bad news cycle if these allegations are true. And LSU has a lot of questions uh, to answer, I would say, Brody. Absolutely. I, I think, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky thing to discuss, obviously, for just a million reasons. But it, it's tricky because the story isn't about new allegations. It isn't. I mean, well, actually, there are a few. But in terms of, you know, some football program, things like that, which is part of why we're discussing it. What, what came to light in this is not, you know, the Darius Geis thing. We have known about his awful actions that he's accused of. We have known the Drake Davis awful, awful accusations. And, well, I mean, and he's pled guilty for some of them, I believe, uh, you know, accusations against him. You know, these are things we have known. What came to light in this that is so upsetting, first off, and just frustrating and, and obviously bad for LSU is that, like you said, they have, it seems like an almost systematic failure. And like you, you know, in the sense that they, they either knew these things and just tried to, you know, hunt, you know, push them away or simply were just too incompetent to handle them correctly. And, and, and these aren't just, you know, football program things or sports things. They shouldn't, that shouldn't be the point, by the way. The, the problem is that sometimes an athlete gets a better treatment in these situations or that we'll try to protect an athlete. But there are also horrible stories and, and important stories in here about, you know, Elizabeth Andrews, uh, you know, an, uh, a student who was assaulted by a fraternity, you know, a guy in a fraternity. And that's a heartbreaking story as well. These these aren't just about you know anything athletic, but it is it's a major problem. And I think this is going to be a a huge moment for LSU, a huge moment for LSU athletic director Scott Woodward and how they handle things, you know, because. You know, you, they, they kind of got away, you know, two months ago, not got away, but were able to, you know, get by a few months ago with some empty words about the Darius Guy situation, right? They were able to come away with a strong statement and, and that story to some small extent went away, right? This is different. This is an actual major, you know, like, well, that was absolutely major, but a very, very institutional problem they actually have to handle. They can't just use empty words. They have to make changes. They need to do something with their Title IX department. There's a lot they have to do. So this is not something that's going to go away. And it is, you know, brought it, and it's why we're opening our show with this. It has cast a major cloud around anything happening athletics this week because it doesn't, because that just doesn't seem to matter. Right now. Yeah. I mean, especially the, there's, so there's a press conference today as it is Monday. We record right after the Ogeron press conference. And uh, I mean, the entire thing just felt very fake. It felt like a dog and pony show. Uh, it just felt like, and I, and I get why for all the reasons. I mean, uh, Ogeron and LSU can't say anything. Um, you know, even like they probably don't want to, even if they did want to speak on it, they have, you know, the legal defense of it. We, we, we cannot. Um, and, and so it was just, there was a giant elephant in the room the entire time that everybody was willfully ignoring myself included. And it just makes everything feel, like I said, like just a giant kind of mockery in a way um, in terms of what really matters. I I think that Ross Dellinger offered some pretty interesting perspective this morning. Um, and, and I think that he's right here. And this even goes back to this book, uh, Talking With Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell that I listened to recently, which is that some of this is stuff that is probably even less systemic to LSU as it is kind of college campus Very true. Uh, in the entire country. And that's, you know, having kids in that age range mixed together um, with ton of alcohol. And, and, you know, you combine that with kind of how hard it is already for, uh, 
for, for, for people to interact with one another, to understand whatever. I mean, I, you don't have to be a genius to get any of this stuff. It, alcohol, young kids, it's not always a good mix in terms of people making, uh, the correct decisions or understanding what each other's doing. Like it's, it's just a bad mix. And I think there's a lot of this that goes on throughout the country. And I think that articles like this and hopefully the change that it then goes on to inspire. I think that's how you start to change that culture. Now it's going to take a long time and I don't know that it's ever going to get like fully right, but I think that's why uh, the victims having a voice and being able to advocate for victims. It's so important is because they need to feel supported and empowered to come out and talk about this because if it stays hidden in the shadows, that's how these sort of problems uh, continue to uh, subsist and just continue to, uh, I guess, exist indefinitely. Um, yeah, so, so, so Ross, okay. I mean, so Ross, my bad. So Ross, I started to ramble a bit there. So, so Ross kind of brought that perspective. I think he's right. However, there are some things specific to LSU football that they need to answer, and a lot of it surrounds the Drake Davis situation. Uh, it seems like in the allegations they knew about Drake Davis allegedly being violent with his um, girlfriend. Um, they even have texts from him to LSU Athletic Director Virg Osbury in which he uh, says that. I mean, he admits to punching and he says it was in self-defense because he was being hit. But like, it looks like LSU had forewarning on Drake Davis. And while they did eventually take action, that you could argue that it took them far too long to take any sort of action. Yeah, first off, the Drake Davis, yeah, not, they didn't do anything with Drake Davis. And, and I mean, yeah, they banned him from the weight room for a summer, but they didn't really punish Drake Davis in any major way until it became a publicized news story that, that he was arrested again. And that's the only reason they ever took any action. Then, And then, yes, he was arrested again. And even that was, I think, just a, a suspension. And then after a second or a third public arrest, they finally kicked him off the team. And, and I, I think Ross's point is actually a, a really important one because – I mean, yeah, I'm not going to name specifics because I don't have the reporting to back this up, but I have been other places. I'll say this where you, we have all, I mean, we have heard these things that these things go on, that there is a, a system of protecting athletes and all these things because, you know, they bring money to the school and all these, and all these bad reasons and, and they just kind of get hushed to go away, you know? And, and again, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have any, I don't have the reporting at the time to back those things up and, and publish them and all that, which is terrible. But, and I, I think the, the quote from Elizabeth Taylor, the Temple University professor is really the important one, which is, I don't assume any of these coaches don't understand what's happening is wrong. I think they're making decisions that are best for the success of the program. And they're making the decision to put the safety and well-being of other students behind a player's ability to play on a Saturday afternoon. And I think if, I think there's probably, there are probably many, many, many schools in the country that actually, you know, probably do things the right way. I don't want to speak in generalities. There are a lot of good people out there, but I think, you know, at the higher levels of athletics, I think she's unfortunately very right that when, you know, when, when they were probably informed of a Drake Davis situation or something, or one like that their their instinctual reaction isn't about the victim or the wrongdoing or them doing something wrong their instinctual reaction is more about this is something we have to handle and you know and i I, and i think if you don't believe that you're just a little naive i think a lot of people very much do view it that way and i'm i'm not directly saying lsu but i'm just saying across a lot of places in the country and this story absolutely highlights that as well as you know many many places have And, and and obviously um I don't want anybody to hear that. And, and I don't think it sounded that way. But, like, that—that that is not to in any way get LSU off the hook. Like I said, LSU, if anything, no. um, like, there has to be a, you know, a, a sacrifice. There has to be somebody that eventually gets punished for this sort of stuff before everybody will stop that kind of uh, culture of cover-up. 
that does go on in a lot of high-level athletics. And it's not just athletics. I mean, that's what I thought. That That's kind of what I was just talking on and what, what you kind of said earlier is, I mean, it's 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 regular students as well. It, it, it's just an overall culture of do victims, are they empowered? And do they have the right avenues in order to seek the help that they need in order to report um, and in order to feel protected from their abuser, and 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 it looks like uh, LSU has a lot of questions to answer, and a lot of those questions are maybe represented throughout the country and a lot of other places as well. And so maybe in finding those answers, uh, change happens. I don't know. I'm getting pretty cynical as I get older. I hope that it does. Um, we will see where all of this goes. I, I don't have much more to say on this. Except that, like I said, I think it casts a shadow over everything else right now. I mean, yeah, losing football games sucks. But if, 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 I mean, depending on how deep this Drake Davis rabbit hole and the rest of it goes, you know, covering up multiple sexual assaults. And I mean, there's, there's a, there's a screenshot from the USA Today article. And again, these are allegations, right? But it's when, um, uh, Drake Davis's uh, girlfriend at the time, who was a female volleyball player, got punched in the stomach, and they told the LSU volleyball coaches about it. And the coaches say, "Like, oh, it's impossible. They possible. They never report it." And then the dad, uh, the dad's quote, the father of the daughter got punched. Someone said they made their decision. After that, we knew our daughter would be beaten up, and we knew LSU would be covered up. That sickens me. Yeah, I mean, I have two daughters. That absolutely sickens me. And and there's no excuse for it. Uh, so that's all I have to say on the matter. And so now, um, Brody, if you want any any final words before we move on. No, I think I think you put it really well. And I think just the the cap on it is just that again, none of this is the important part, but it's just the reality to some extent. So don't take this the wrong way. But it's just another week of just a dark cloud over this 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 LSU football program in the past, you know what? four months more, you know, just, yeah. you know, go, going back to how Ed Ogeron has handled things off the field, going back to the pandemic, you know, going back to, you know, an outbreak last week, going back to obviously the on the field play going, you know, just, it's just one thing after another, I think that is just, you know, really making this a, a, a genuinely dark cloud over a season that I just can't even remember many, like it just in the sense of the hits, not the hits, but just, the bad looks just keep coming one week after another. I, I haven't really seen anything quite like that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is not the easiest transition to make, um, given that what we were just talking about, I think, has way bigger ramifications uh, than does talking about football. However, this is an LSU football podcast, 
and we've covered the LSU football angles on that story. So now uh, we will talk about the actual LSU football team. Um, and we'll go ahead and dive right in. LSU has Arkansas coming up this Saturday. Uh, kind of fascinating in a way because in many ways, Arkansas almost mirrors the beginning, not almost, in a lot of ways, mirrors the beginning of the Ed Ogeron era. Um, wow, you stole my my take. Yeah, go on. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it is like, it is the 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 surface level comparisons between the two are uh, impossible to ignore. Uh, line coaches, lifetime line coaches who were never coordinators, um, getting the job, uh, you know, guys who are very good recruiters, very personable, right? Very, you know, well-liked everywhere. Getting the job, uh, approaching it from the CEO angle, hiring good coordinators, and now having success that is above the talent level that you are coaching, right? We'll probably get to this a lot, and we have gotten a lot in this podcast, but the goal of a coach is to raise the output of a team above its collective talent level. That's good coaching. Bad coaching is the is the opposite. It's when you lower the output uh, below your level of talent. Right now, Arkansas is above, LSU's below, and that's why this game is so fascinating to me because they come from kind of the same base style. And so where did LSU go? And to be clear, this is not tied into record, right? This is not pure record. What I'm talking about is my viewing of the film and watching this team is that this LSU team, they are not well coached. It's not all about wins and losses. I'm talking about them just playing below who they could be or arguably should be. And 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 so when you see Pittman and and Odom and, and this Arkansas team and Fleetway Franks and there's like so much good vibes and hope. And this is what we talk about before expectation. That's how it is. Uh, but, but it does also kind of make you look in the mirror and say, man, what went so wrong so fast here at LSU? Yeah, and, and if, well, I mean, we're, I think we're going to get to that part definitely. But I want to go even further with the the comparison points here, which again, not it's not a linear one; it's not record based. But I almost see like there's a there's a comparison I want to make to the 2018 LSU team in the sense that the 2018 LSU team. It's almost important to remember that like by almost no metrics were they that great. They just weren't like their offense was not particularly good. The defense actually wasn't as good as most Aranda defenses. They weren't like they were, there weren't many metrics LSU was great at in 2018, but they just kept kind of finding out ways to win games or just kind of like winning in the right situations or making the clutch plays, stuff like that. And they ended up going, you know, 10 and three, finishing, I think, like sixth in the country. And it was like an all time year in those run era at the time. So and I almost see that comparison because even when you think, like, first off, Arkansas is overachieving on talent level. Yes, that's the part you absolutely are right about. But they're they're even overachieving on in performance level. And what I mean by that is like they shouldn't be winning a lot of these games that they're winning because they're not even playing that well in them. Like there's no there's aren't really any metrics that Arkansas is great at. There's, but they're just in these games, and that's that's almost why I compare it to um, at Ogeron in 2018 LSU. Is that just like they are that is coaching actually? It's the ability to like get a team that's just like responsible enough to not mess up and to not like make any errors and just win games. I think I think it's a fascinating team. And it's a fascinating team to to look into this game and project because even with how bad LSU has been and even how good Arkansas is being, if you just look at this from like a pure metrics point of view, who's better and like sustainable ways, all that LSU still should be favored. They actually, like, I really do believe that, but it's just the idea is that, but it's like that benefit, the doubt thing we always love to talk about. It's like, but I also trust that LSU is probably going to make some mistakes that just cost them this game. And I do not think Arkansas will because for example, SP plus has LSU winning by 2.5 and 
Ooh, you know, that ain't good, that, dude. But I mean, I, 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 the, I, I, the, I, but the I, Vegas I, line is Arkansas opened as Arkansas by two point five, so it's a five point swing, and I think that's a valid five point swing because that is the difference in just responsibility between these teams. Yes, yes, exactly right. Like I mean, when I when I hear two point five in the SCP and I say that ain't good, I mean that as that's a sign of how bad LSU has been uh, <laughs> yes, this year absolutely. because there's no way. When you project out a few years, and, and, and Grant, maybe that's not a completely fair comparison given the relative youth of LSU, but when you project out a few years, the amount of NFL talent that LSU has on this team playing right now versus Arkansas, um, I don't think will be close, right? And no. so to be two and a half points different, um, un, under under an analytics guys that should, you know, it, it, it takes into account context, right? It's literally built on context. And so to be that close to Arkansas really drives home uh, just how poor you have been this season. And I mean, look, yeah, Felipe Franks may not be the scariest quarterback nor that Arkansas offense, but I have little to no faith whatsoever at uh, at LSU's ability to, to stop the Hogs, which sounds crazy. But, I mean, I, I don't think I can ever – I can't burn myself on that pot once again. Like, I cannot give this LSU defense the benefit of the doubt entering another matchup. First off, yeah, I think like, you and I kind of, like, came to a, an official conclusion, I think, two weeks ago that we're like, we are yeah. not going to pick LSU in a single game this year. And, yeah, I mean, if you actually asked me right now, I think I still would pick LSU. But by by principle, I am not. I'm standing by that. I'm not picking LSU until proven otherwise because, you know, I think you're absolutely right. They have, first off, just not gained any benefit of the doubt. You also like all these stats we talk about are also factored into like Miles Brennan played for four games or three games. They don't have Miles Brennan right now. I'm not exactly that high. I think Barry Odom, for example, could probably coach a game that that should you know beat TJ Finley. And I think a lot of it. I think this game will. If I had to really, I think we'll get to this later. But if I had to put my finger on what could decide this game, it's yeah. How else you does on the line of scrimmage? Can they step up on that line of scrimmage, especially on the offensive line? I think if you know uh, the big new one of the well. Like you said, is a dog and pony show. But some of the big news of that press conference was that Ed Ojean said left tackle Dare Rosenthal actually might be back, might be reinstated from his suspension. That's obviously huge news to get their left tackle back. They've been gone for several <laughs> weeks, but yeah, I think that's the the big what? thing. That's their only chance. Wait, but, uh, so like, than, wait, but like on on the Dare Rosenthal thing. I mean, if that doesn't drive home how desperate they are on the offensive line from a depth <laughs> standpoint now, so wasn't he kicked off the team? Or was he just yeah. as he was there. suspended? He was suspended indefinitely, and like the in the in the for like people at home who you know are more casual you know fans like for someone actually to be suspended literally is big because if it's just like a you know positive drug test kind of thing like they don't they don't suspend you you are just like held out of the game ambiguously you know like because that's the way the policy yeah, works suspended indefinitely is when the situations become untenable normally uh, same yes, for special exactly. circumstances and when it's over. Um, so I, I don't know what kind of compliance rules are going to have to try to get around or or what team rules specifically were broken, but man, that really shows you what a tight spot LSU is in, uh, that (laughs) that they would try to re revisit that. Well, once again, like, I mean, think about that. You, you, you reach a decision-making point where exactly you say it's untenable, it's over. And then a couple of weeks later, you go back on that. And I mean, I get it. Dare Rosenthal is a good left tackle. You have no left tackle depth whatsoever right now. But 
I mean, I guess I, I whatever. I, I don't want to sit here and act all. I was going to say I don't want to say much because, because I don't. Actually, yeah, the, the reasons why I don't I actually know off. much. Yes, no, exactly. Normally, you're right, I think you're right. I think normally you and I actually do know like why a player was suspended. No details. I actually don't know much about that situation. It just it was one of those ones I haven't been able to learn much about. So I just don't know. No, you're right. You know, and I caught myself. You know, if, if it was something bad off the field, and then you're like fighting to reinstate him during all this news happening, that's actually just a terrible look. But we don't know that. We flat out don't. It might just be like a discipline thing. You know. We just don't know. Yeah, but, I, I um, guess I'm just saying in terms of like making people kind of believe in the existence of your team rules, right? Just <laughs> yeah. in, 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 in that these team rules actually matter. Uh, but whatever. All rules only matter to a point, right. right? How much can you help the team? It's kind of what got you into this trouble in the first place a lot of times. Um, yeah, go on. I have another stat to throw at you just to like show like the difference between Arkansas actual ability and what they're doing is here's it's my favorite is one of my favorite, you know, stats is is there is a SP Bill Connolly's expected turnover margin, which is really like a look at like a lot of, I mean, I actually don't even fully understand that one, but it's basically like a deep look at a lot of things to kind of show like based on everything that happened, how many turnovers should you have? And Arkansas is, you know, minus 0.02, like 68th in the country. Like their, their turnover margin should be basically even, but it's actually plus eight. And that's oh. number three in the country. It's really good. And I love that because it almost Wait. it highlights for Wait. you that like but that's, that's not Arkansas. <laughs> no, sorry, continue. What does it highlight? It, it well, it, it kind of highlights luck, but I don't like using words like luck, but it kind of highlights the way they're just like taking advantage of things, but they're not actually like necessarily like so good that they're making these things happen. Yes, like and and I love that sort of me too. Numerical analytic approach. Uh, but I do know that to a lot of people, they will hear that and be like, well, what the fuck are we talking about? How are you calculating expected turnover rate when they're plus eight? Right. I mean, but, and, and, and but, but, I, and I get it. I get it. You got, you got to separate yourself from that. That's like flawed logic because of the, because they are the exception, not the rule. Right. And, and that's why they're so impressive. Um, I wonder what, what's LSU's expected turnover rate? Ooh, I'm guessing it took a huge leap after the offense. It's actually, you know, we'll keep my LSU's turnover margin on the grand scheme of things. It's been fantastic. Been fine yeah, yeah. It's been the the Auburn game threw it off a bit. They're plus one actual turnover right now, and their expected is also plus one. They're thirty eighth in okay. expected and forty fifth in actual. Like they're they're fine. Their turnovers are not a problem. Yeah. So, what do you think about this weekend? Uh, I mean, what we like? Did you? I don't know, man. Well, I don't know if it's this news cycle, the recent news cycles, the apathy. Or that I'm seeing around LSU, um, I just it feels like bad vibes all around. I, I expect nothing from them. I will not choose them to win, uh, but I'm prepared. I mean, but this is probably the most winnable game left on their schedule. Absolutely. I, I think I'll before I even say what I think, I'll start with just the small. And it's like, yeah, you look at it, it's like, what's LSU's biggest problem on this team, right? They give up just an insane amount of big plays, right? Just like a scary amount of big plays. Arkansas <laughs> just gets almost zero big plays. There's like no explosiveness and whatnot. And But, you know, well, what's Arkansas? You want to look at Mississippi State's resume post-LSU and look at their <laughs> big no, plays compared right. to the ones they got against you. But it's, it's still better to play a team that isn't as good at it as one yes. that is. Yes. Um, yes. And then, you know, you look at things like, you know, L, you know, LSU is actually a relatively explosive offense. Not as much so without Miles Brennan, but they are pretty explosive offense, and they move the ball pretty well. Well, you know, Arkansas's defense. Here's the thing, and this is where I actually believe in things like coaching. And this is this is actually like a literal proof of the difference between like coaching and talent and whatnot. Is that teams move the ball pretty well on Arkansas because 
teams are just better than them. You know, like they're probably going to get more of a push on the line. They're probably going to beat that corner. You know, like their success rate defensively is just not very good, but they, they just give up nothing. They shouldn't. And that is coaching to me. And, and they don't give up touchdowns in the red zone. They give up a lot of field goals in the red zone, stuff like that. So I think, uh, I think that's an example of kind of how they're going to put pressure on someone like TJ Finley to kind of say like, you have to beat us because we're not going to beat ourselves. And that is kind of a long way of saying everything I'm looking at still tells me else you should win this game. I really do, but I, I am going to pick Arkansas because if I'm picking a team, if I'm picking who's more likely to mess up, I just think it's LSU. Yeah. And then, I mean, that's as logical and <laughs> as honest and objective as an argument as you will find on this game. I mean, I like, like, like for me to sit here and pick LSU, I would have to rely on just the base idea that just, you know, they'll, they'll play better. Like, I would have to fly in front of everything that they showed us this season, fly in the face of it. And so, hey, I mean, I, well, then it's tough because, like, you look at the South Carolina game. And then where they did everything right, the O-line looked fantastic. Like, yeah. Well, the defense still actually played way worse than the score tells you in the South Carolina game, so I shouldn't say that. But offensively, like everything looks smooth. And if LSU's offense is back to what it like looks, say, hypothetically against South Carolina or more like Missouri or something like that, yeah, I think they beat Arkansas. Like I do. Like I think if their offensive line gets back to that South Carolina performance, they win that game. But that Auburn game, which, by the way, I don't think Auburn and South Carolina is bad as South Carolina. I don't think Auburn's any good. You know what I mean? I just don't. So, like, I, I don't know what, which, which – I'm almost asking you this. What should I put more stock in, the South Carolina game or the Auburn game? Because I don't think those two teams are, are that far apart. Hmm. I mean, when combined with the other information that we've seen this year, South Carolina feels more like the exception. Auburn feels more like the rule. I would also yeah. say that I get worried about longtime defensive coordinators with more film on freshman quarterbacks. <laughs> and so while yeah. certainly the root of all evil against Auburn was the struggling offensive line, uh, there's no doubt that Kevin Steele, you could s- see him smell a little blood in the water once he started to get to Finley. And with the way that Barry Odom's coached it up this year, I can only imagine that he's going to have a pretty damn good plan for uh, how to make it very hard on TJ Finley. Um, that said, you're right. I mean, so in, and then, and then to the counter, our counter, right. The, the flip side is like at the end of the day, uh, just who guards a Rick Gilbert, right? Like, like God, if you just, yeah. if you just like design a play for Terrace Marshall or a Rick Gilbert, can Arkansas consistently stop that? I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know, but I don't think that else you can consistently <laughs> stop them either. Um, Brody, this is, oh, sorry. I was going to say, and the one last thing I'd say to to bounce off what you said, which you were like, you know, you, you, you're going to give, you know, like experienced DC is probably going to do better. The more film you have on a freshman QB. I also think it goes the other way where the more film everyone gets on Bo Pelini, I would imagine the more like a Kendall Bryles (laughs) can just dissect him because I think that everything we understand. I'm crying in pain or I'm laughing in pain. (laughs) Why, why, why? Does LSU's defensive coordinator feel so ancient and out of touch with the modern it's game? Bad. It is it is so much worse than we ever could have wrapped our head around. I mean, it's it's just there. I mean, Vanderbilt they played what, five games and four of them have just been historically bad. Yeah. So uh, I mean, Bo Pelini, if you want to save your job, uh, I mean, your the, the the path lies in front of you. Uh, Good luck. Do you want me to give you some more bad news before we wrap up or whatever? Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Um, well, I know early reports were that the Drew Brees. Okay, okay, no, shoot, bad. you just scooped my scoop. That's what I was trying to interrupt you for thirty seconds ago. Continue. Oh, I wanted to give you some bad news, just like keep no, no. As long are you, are you just, just? Uh, I was going to source Ed Werder since he had it first. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. okay, go for it. Yeah, all you, all you. Okay, uh, source is Werder Ed ESPN. Source results of medical evaluations performed today on Saints quarterback Drew Brees revealed he has multiple rib fractures on both sides of his chest and a collapsed lung on the right side. Injury suffered over the last two weeks. It is uncertain how much time he will miss. What in the hell, dude? How tough is Drew Brees? What? I mean, so when he led that two-minute touchdown drive right before half where he threw a touchdown, threw multiple passes, he, he, had, a, he had a beautiful screen pass, a big third and three, uh, uh, a touchdown pass here where the snap was fumbled and he had to bend over, pick it up, and throw it. He had a collapsed lung and multiple broken ribs on both sides? Like, what is he doing? How is that even possible? <laughs> See, I think my initial reaction to that is like, that's doesn't that mean he's probably going to be out longer than we even thought? I mean, I don't know. I, I had no real great hopes that it was going to be too shy. I had my head kind of in like the six week range. I mean, I, okay, I don't know. Enough. I don't right. know if this is like longer or shorter than that. I, I kind of shifted into, I think that sacrificing the one seed for the Saints by giving Breeze more time and then getting a healthy Breeze come playoff time is way better than trying to push them through for a one seed that is hyper devalued in the Corona age of home field advantage. But um, well. That's neither here nor there, uh, that, you know, but just some relevant news to our listening audience. That is wild. And you're hearing us <laughs> literally, like, this is our live reaction. We just learned this as it broke a couple of minutes ago. Um, hey, hey that, that's the real theme this year, I guess. Oh, quarterbacks in Louisiana are playing through injuries this year. Miles Ryan played up, uh, threw for like 400 yards with a torn abdominal. Yeah, but I mean, so when Breeze talks about it being an accumulation of things, he really was not lying. Like, how tough <laughs> is he? Like, so it said it's been over the last two weeks, so he probably already had broken ribs last week. I can't believe he would have entered this game with a collapsed lung, right? So he probably already had some rib fractures. And then what, he just threw a collapsed lung, some rib fractures on top of it. And the best part is he was going to go out in the second half. And then it wasn't until like the third quarter where he told Peyton like, like or, you know, to right before they were about to go that he told Peyton like, look, man, I don't think I could do it. And then he felt so guilty about it. He looked so sad <laughs> on the sideline. Like, Breeze, man, you have nothing to feel guilty about. You got to be the toughest some bitch ever. That is wild 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 so saints one seat takes a hit um and now you get to watch lsu football feel threatened by arkansas and maybe lose to arkansas we really got it I, I know we're wrapping up I, I i just think we have to like drive home how absurd it is that lsu was a 42 or 43 point favorite a year ago and now they're a two-point dog i mean i don't think i can think of a bigger turnaround <laughs> in, in betting odds in, in vegas history i really can't insane. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! 
Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, I want to play uh, two things from Urban Meyer real quick that he yeah. talked about uh, on this weekend that I think would actually go a long way towards explaining a lot of LSU struggles. So what is check under the hood? When, when you tell somebody to go check under the hood, what are you telling them to go do? Well, so many of us are excuse makers. I mean, that's the way that's part of who we are, and it, and it shouldn't be that way. When you see a team struggle, the first thing the fans and the, and the media blame are the players, or they blame the coaches. It's never more evident than the NFL. I always laugh every week when I'll hear someone say, well, they got bad players in the NFL, some team that always struggles. I'm thinking, wait a minute. Think about what you just said. There's not a bad player in the NFL. They're NFL players. Same with the coach. You can't say, well, he's a bad coach. Now, maybe they're not coaching well, or maybe the player's not playing well, but that's where I always say, lift under the hood. Never make excuse. When, when I was a coach, I would never let one of my coaches say he's a bad player. I'd warn them, say, say that again, you probably have to leave because that's just, you're making excuses. Now, dig deep and find out why. Every time I've had a team struggle, every time, it's fallen one of three categories. Number one, there's some trust issue. The players don't trust the coach. The coach don't trust the players or awful when the players don't trust each other. Number two, really think about it, it's called a dysfunctional work environment, Reggie, and that's that. Where the expectations are very high, but we don't work hard. I've been there before, Coach. It's, and, and the coach has to be real clear with his team. Say, wait a minute, that's going to lead to frustration, anger, disappointment, because we want to win a championship. I got news, guys. We're not working hard. So quit, stop with the yeah. expectations. If your you're, work ethic must succeed or equate your expectations, that's a good environment. And the last one is real obvious. And I'll stop it there. Uh, the, he gets into selfishness at the last point. And I don't know that I view selfishness as a problem of this LSU no. football team necessarily, but 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 the, so he, but he but he hit on a few issues there, Brody, and I, I I think first I don't know about you, but when I've talked to people around this program, there's definitely an element of player blaming that makes me kind of want to roll my eyes at certain yes. times because I don't even care if you think the a, a player is bad. First off, then if he's starting, what does that say about your roster management? <laughs> um, but beyond that. It's like, okay, you can tell me he's bad, but I've seen how good he can be when he's coached correctly and put in positions to succeed. So who's really at fault here? Uh, and so there's an element of player blame. What I hate about that is you feel like, how's it going to get better if you can't accept that you are part of the reason why it's all gone wrong? I think the trust issue is also spot on when it comes to what's gone wrong at LSU this year. And by the way, I don't even know who Urban Meyer was talking about. I think he was talking about Michigan. Maybe he was just talking about I think he was like Penn State, Michigan, Michigan, LSU in general. Uh, but the trust issue, I think, also feels representative of LSU. We, we've talked about it. There seems to be a huge disconnect between the players and the coaches right now. I mean, Bo Pelini yells on the sideline, and everybody could not look more disinterested. And as a player, you want to trust that if I do what you're telling me to, I will be put in a position to succeed, even if I don't think it makes sense. And it doesn't seem like there's any of that there. I don't think there's necessarily a ton of trust between the players, player to player either, which is, like you said, maybe the ultimate death knell. And then that dysfunctional work environment, man. I, I think that I think that anytime you reach the mountaintop, it's incredibly hard to stay motivated. It's why the psychopaths like Lombardi end up with stomach ulcers. They're obsessive. <laughs> um, so like your Belichick's, your Lombardi's, your Sabins, right? It's, it's kind of what 
separates him. And look, I think that LSU, after they got to the top, I don't know. And and partially, this is not out of their control, right? Like you look at something like COVID and the and the impact that, that had and their ability to get in the incredible amount of extra work that something like the 2019 team did. But but even players, I mean, coaches weren't the coaches off this last weekend. Um, I, I know the players sure. were. I guess I'm not 100% sure on the coaches. I've heard maybe they were. But if they were, if they were, then that's wrong. Like, I mean, that that's that's just not – and I get it. And, and I know that coaches are fetishistic about work to the point of being ridiculous. Where it's like, I get in there at 5 a.m. and leave at 10 p.m. And like, okay, yes, there's diminishing returns. Eventually, it does not matter. But it also does feel just around this program, like since you won that championship – that maybe some of those work expectations have taken uh, a step back. And, and and for better or worse, like whether you agree with that or not, the results are worse. And so that at least seems like a correlating factor. What what was your interpretation of what Meyer had to say there? No, I'm going to be honest here, man. I mean, first off, I'm always fascinated. I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about Urban Meyer, the overall dude, but I mean, any, I'm always fascinated to hear like anything that guy has to say about coaching, especially. He nailed that entire tangent and it really does work with LSU. You nailed this pretty well. So I'm not going to reiterate everything you're saying, but yeah, the, the player blaming is almost nonsensical because you look at, say, a Jacoby Stevens and it's like, I have two years of proof that guy's a really good player. Like he always had flaws and maybe it's just like getting highlighted more that he's the main guy, but like, no, that's that, that we, like you said, we have proof of some of these guys doing well, and now we have proof of what they're not doing against other people. And there's the trust thing. And, and I think it's a mix of, I do just think there's a disconnect even more than just like them coaching poorly, not wanting to listen to them. I think a lot of it is just like, there just seems to be like a lack of like cohesion, you know, and it, it's, it goes back to the thing. I think we talked one show about like, it's kind of just like a lot of old white guys and then like, you know, and like telling a young, a young kid that I just don't know if there's like an agreement there. And then, I, I mean, I remember, you know, someone just asked me last week before, you know, another a colleague of mine, like, Hey, like, you know, what did people actually think of Joe Brady there? You know? And like, did the players like him? And I'm like, first off, Joe Brady is just a cool guy. Everyone liked, but second, everyone was, was crazy about Joe Brady in that building because it was just this guy coming in there. And it's like, Oh, we have somebody just sincerely knows what they're talking about all the time. Like just flat out knows their stuff. Yeah. And that built this just like new level of trust. And I think Dave Veranda was also, no matter what you thought of Dave Veranda, no matter what you thought of just like frustration with maybe how he did things, Dave Veranda knew his stuff. And anytime he ever spoke, everyone in that room listened to what he had to say and like would buy into it. They know that he would. And I just don't think, on either side, it's really there right now. I don't think people are turning on Steve Ensminger or anything like that, but I do think you are seeing no, that I, a little I, bit across. I, look, ironically, I think Ensminger's, I mean, for being the oldest and whitest guy, I think he's probably like the most well-liked. Uh, yes, oh, I firmly agree, yeah. Like, it seems like everybody loves Ensminger. Uh, as far as Polini goes, you're right, man. It, um, I guess you never think about that a lot, right? Coaches switch over in our brain. We're just like, all right, it's a new coach, whatever. But imagine being a player that maybe came up under Dave Aranda, this ultra pensive, ultra respective voice who, you know, is not very loud and is, is stern, but like very kind of soft spoken. And then all of a sudden you get this like very loud, bombastic guy. But when he's talking, you just don't buy what he's saying. Like you don't think it's sound football strategy. It just it, it it's probably, and that it's not working. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so it's probably pretty damn tough to be a longtime defensive member in that locker room and to go from oh we went from that to this, and that's not even get into like what are they doing differently? Are they using the walkthrough room? Are they doing all these things? So I don't also, know, I think man. there's also an element of like 
I think with Bo Pelini sometimes, it's something you've I've been told a lot over his Nebraska years, but it's like it's an accountability thing too, where like when when the defense goes poorly, like, you know, it's more of like a, you know, you guys did do what I told you, and it's not like a maybe I messed up, and I think that's a problem. Yeah. And that goes back to the trust thing. And it's untenable. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't know how Pelini saves his job, but we'll see. Especially Brody. We did just see Will Muschamp get bought out for $15 million. Yeah. Exactly. Scoop me again. So they bought Damn him it. out for $13 million or whatever it was. Um, I thought I read 13 but it doesn't matter. 13 15 no difference. They bought it. They're, they're going to pay that buyout. They are suffering a fifty-plus million-dollar revenue deficit. They expect to make one twenty-eight in a normal year. They're going to make seventy this year, and they are still buying him out for thirteen million dollars. We can get into priorities and everything because that is a, a kind of absurd commentary on um, how we feel about football in this country. But but there is no doubt that it is relevant to LSU because that is the story that now everybody will point to. When you talk about Bo Pelini's $6.9 million buyout, especially because on the revenue end of things, you would expect that they would be in a slightly better position than South Carolina uh, to begin with. And maybe I actually want to you know, highlight Andy Staples, our, my, our colleagues, you know, fantastic column today on the Muschamp situation because he points out something that I think is so, so important and so smart about what's going on with you know, Muschamp or other people. And it's that, yes, there's one way of looking at it like, wow, that like it's reckless to do that on a year where you're not even getting that, you know, the ticket sales, you're not getting it that, so you're just like losing money, right? But he points out that that means during a time like this, you are even more dependent than ever on the, you know, the trust of your boosters, the people who will just give you a $5 million check because now you're really dependent on them because that, otherwise you're not getting any money because you're not getting the normal revenue yeah. you get. So now if your boosters are just ready to bail on somebody and really hate them and like you have you to, have do, to it do what they want <laughs> because you need their support. And I think that was a way of thinking about it that I hadn't thought about. And it's just so, so, so it's smart so and so true. And I can assure you, Bo Pelini, LSU boosters are ready to get rid of Bo Pelini. I'm not saying they're going to do it before the end of the season, but I believe they are. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I just where's the objective argument not to, right? <laughs> well, like, yeah. Like, if, you, if you take money out of the equation, yeah, there is just – Yes, no, none. no, exactly. I am talking – I know you, you are. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I'm talking – There's more. just literally no way. I wonder um, – I mean, could, could I craft a larger economic argument that – Keeping him means you'll be so bad that the money you'll lose in the long term will outstrip the six point nine that you pay in the buyout. Huh? You willing to engage? Yes. You willing to engage with any of that context, Brody Miller? First off, yes, I actually do think that. But yeah, uh, I think it's okay. Well, never mind. That didn't go how I thought it would. All right, Uh, (laughs) and we will wrap up the Hold That Podcast podcast. Very wide ranging episode today. Um, of course, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast dollar a week sign up deals. Listen to the football and grits podcast, which is the athletics SEC podcast. Read Brody's work, sign up for everybody's. If you're a Saints fan, trust me when I say Jeff Duncan, Cat Terrell, and Larry Holder about to have you covered on all things Saints and Drew Brees. And yeah, we will find out where LSU is after two weeks against Arkansas this weekend. Arkansas, the fifth best team in the SEC West right now, or the fourth, the fourth best team in the SEC West. So it's going to be an exciting weekend, and uh, we will see you again next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast. (laughs) 